Good morning. My name is uh, Marty Scott. Some of you know me, most of you know me, but some of you, you just recognize me as the guy who stands in the back on Sunday mornings and says hi to you. But I do more than that. I oversee college missions in small groups. Uh, it is a very fun job that I, I love to do. But I don't usually stand up here and preach. That's usually Jacob's job. But a very interesting thing happened this weekend. So Friday, Friday afternoon, I started to come down with a head cold, a sinus infection. Uh, this happens about every four months for me, and I like to describe it as my face exploding. It is terrible. I hate it, but it happens often to me. Uh, at the same time, my wife's back started going out, which happens to her uh, about every four months because we have two little kids uh, that she's always having to chase around and carry and pick up and, and that sort of thing. So by Friday night, we were both pretty miserable, and we were sitting on the couch. Uh, I was sneezing, and she had an ice pack, and, uh, and she said, you know, uh, as miserable as we are, isn't it great that we have absolutely nothing to do tomorrow? Tomorrow, Saturday, we get to sit and do nothing, which never happens on a Saturday for us. And I said, no, I am doing something tomorrow. I'm going to watch the Masters all day, which is, for those of you who don't know, that's a golf tournament that's happening right now. I found out people don't know that sometimes. But I was pumped about watching the Masters all day Saturday. And then Saturday morning, I woke up to this, this text message. Uh, it's from Jacob. Heads up. Charlotte started vomiting Wednesday night, lasted about 24 hours. Susan and I just started vomiting simultaneously. Not sure where this nightmare train ends for adults. That was at 1 a.m. Then at 6 a.m., we're still on an incredibly regular schedule of expelling our stomachs every 30 minutes. Therefore, uh, for Sunday morning, we have some plans laid out. I knew Jacob was really suffering because you can notice it's plan one, two, four, three, and four. Um, And then finally, a fun factoid, I had to take a break while composing that message. I assume a break is the regularly scheduled expelling. Also, my respect for both of you, Trey and I, has increased knowing that you've conquered similar situations in your families. It's almost beautifully tragic to assume the fetal position or positron, in the hallway while your baby cries. And all I could say was, that sounds terrible. Um, Yes, Uh, Jacob is just as funny in text as he is when he's preaching, apparently. Uh, And I I read these and I realized, well, at least there's like three to five options uh, for Sunday morning that do not include me. And so uh, as I began to think through, how should I respond to this? I realized that uh, my desire to not preach this morning had nothing to do with how I felt and was completely uh, based off the fact that all I wanted to do was sit and watch the Masters on Saturday. Uh, I had plans to do nothing. And uh, really, because I had worked all week, I felt like it was my right to sit and do nothing on Saturday except watch the Masters. And uh, I was uh, set on holding on to that right to do that. But then as I thought about it, I looked at the other possible options and realized, well, they probably have that right too. And, and really, my face is exploding, but it seems like Jacob is literally exploding. And so uh, in order to serve him, I was willing to lay down that right Uh, to relax and do nothing on Saturday for the sake of uh, helping Jacob out in a time of need. And so here I am. 
our rights are interesting things. The, the idea that we have these set, uh, inerrant rights that, uh, that we value so much, uh, it comes because part of it is we're Americans. We grow up from uh, childhood knowing that we have these rights that we can value, that we can hold on to. As students, we grow up learning the Bill of Rights. We, uh, as kids, memorize the Declaration of Independence, which talks about inalienable rights, which are uh, the right to life, to liberty, and to the pursuit of happiness. We praise our soldiers that uh, go and, and sacrifice their lives for the sake of our rights and for our freedom. Our rights are, uh, are there to, to protect our interests. So an example of this would be, it's to my interest that I keep my things, that I protect the stuff in my house. And so I have the right to bear arms in order to do that, to protect my stuff. We're given these sort of rights that are protected by our government. And not only does the government give us rights, but then um, we have other non-government given rights, such as uh, my right to take Saturday off. My job gives me that. I have a job description that says I work Monday through Friday and Sundays, and I get generally get Saturdays off. And so I feel like that is my God-given or church-given right to do. But what we see in Scripture, and in the New Testament specifically, is that sometimes our faith clashes with our rights. That sometimes we're asked to lay down those rights for the sake of our faith. We see this, we see this happening all over the world, generally. So right now, if you look on the other side of the world, uh, there are people who are being asked to lay down their rights to life for the sake of the gospel. We see all over the Middle East that Christians are being persecuted. And what's happening is they're having to decide between their right to life and their profession of Christ. They're faced with this decision. Should I grasp and hold on to this right that I have to life, or should I sacrifice that life? Should I lay it down for the sake of making Christ known? And we're seeing over and over that these people are martyred. They're willing to lay down that right because of Christ. A little bit more common, a little bit more close to home for us, uh, happens in dating. So when Andrea and I, my wife, were dating, uh, we had a curfew that was 10 o'clock at night. And uh, around 9.30, I began to get upset because 10 o'clock was coming. And uh, I did not want to go home. It made me uh, unhappy to go home, and I would sit there and think, nothing would make me happier than to spend the night tonight and see what happens, see where things went. But I realized, I recognized that even though I thought that might make me happy, my desire to honor God, my desire to worship him with my relationship and to reflect him with that relationship was more important than any right towards happiness. And so at 10 o'clock every night, I would lay down that right for the sake of honoring him with my relationship. We see that over and over again in our lives, that we're faced with this decision to either lay down our rights or to worship God um, and honor him through the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at what it looks like to do just that, what it looks like to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. We're going to see that in Philippians 2. So if you want to turn to Philippians 2 with me, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, it's a pretty famous passage because it talks about Christ being God. But uh, I think it also does a great job of looking at what it looks like for us to lay down our rights as believers. So starting in uh, Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul here does two things. He's exhorting the Philippian church to lay down their own interests, to lay down their rights, and then he's using Christ as a perfect example of what this looks like. So in verses 1 through 4, we see over and over again, he's exhorting them to do certain things. We see uh, these one another commands to uh, love one another, to be united in one another, to be in united in one purpose with each other, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of one another. He's pointing them away from themselves, taking the focus away from your own person and directing it towards those who are around you, towards one another. He's calling them away from selfish ambition, away from self-interest, and to each other. You know, I have a a three-year-old son, as I said earlier, and this is a pretty common battle with him. For a three-year-old, their world, it exists and revolves around themselves. So uh, all of their toys are their toys, and anybody else's toy is their toy as well. And their expectation is, if there's a toy in sight, it's mine. So every time we sit down to play with other friends, we have to remind him, Andrew, you need to share with Owen. Andrew, you need to uh, give your toy or not take away your brother Jonah's toy. Remind him, don't push one another. Don't kick one another. Don't pull one another's hair. Don't ride on Jonah. We have to continually (laughs) remind him how to act with his little brother and with his friends. And and as I reflect on this, I realize, you know, if he struggles with some of these sometimes, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect on him. His disobedience isn't uh, people don't look at him and be like, man, what a disobedient heathen. You know, like, he's blowing it. What a horrible person. A lot of times, it's a reflection on me. And so if he's doing these things, they wonder, uh, why isn't Marty teaching him how to be obedient? Why isn't Marty helping him to understand that those toys aren't necessarily his and that he needs to be sharing? How he acts reflects me as a parent. We see these one another commands in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, They, uh, as the church acts, they reflect our Father God. If you look in uh, verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, So that, so you do these things, you have this attitude, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. How we act towards one another reflects God and allows us to be lights in a dark world. The world, it values selfish ambition. It values our rights and and our interests in holding and grasping onto those. 
And we are, when we're willing to lay down our interests for the interests of others, when we're willing to give up those rights, it reflects the Father and it allows us to be lights in the world. And Paul's calling the Philippians to do just that, to be lights in the world by laying down their interests for the interests of others. Then he goes into verses 5 through 8, talking about Jesus Christ as the perfect example of someone who did this. It reads, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ perfectly exemplifies this attitude that Paul is calling the Philippian church to have. Uh, I grew up reading this verse, and it's always been used as, as kind of this proof of Christ's deity, and it's uh, generally been a little confusing to me, actually, because you see the second line, although he existed in the form of God, and we read that and we understand Jesus Christ equals God. And so it's like, okay, that's clear. Jesus equals God. But then the next line but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that's kind of a a confusing phrase. What does it mean that he uh, did not grasp equality with God? To me, that always meant uh, that equality with God was unattainable, that you could not grasp at it. And so I thought, uh, if he, obviously we can't grasp at equality with God, but it seems to indicate that he can't grasp that equality either. But the idea of grasp is different than that. It doesn't mean to to grasp at something, but it means to hold on without letting go, to grasp something and to not let go of it. When I was a junior, I went on the Grace College fall retreat, and we had some water activities out at Frontier Camp, and one of them was riding the banana boat. And if you've ridden a banana boat, you have the the speedboat, and then there's a big rope, and then there's this big yellow banana-looking tube with a bunch of handles, and you can stick four or five people on it, and you all straddle it, and they go, and you hit the first wave, and everybody flies off laughing, and it's fun. So I decided when I got on this banana boat that I uh, was going to hold on for dear life, and I refused to let go. I, was, uh, I had set my mind to um, holding on as long as I could. And so we went, and we'd hit these waves, and people would fly off. And eventually, I was the only one left. And of course, uh, naturally, the boat driver, his goal is to knock everyone off. So he starts swerving and hitting as many waves as he can, and I'm bouncing and flying. And eventually, I came off the banana boat, but I was still grasping onto the handle. So now, instead of straddling this banana boat and bouncing I'm horizontal on the water alongside of the banana boat. In every wave, my body is smashing into the water, and I'm just bouncing across the lake. Uh, And eventually, my arms gave out, and I let go and floated there exhausted. Uh, But it was awesome. I loved it. And actually, the next week, Blake Jennings, who's the pastor over at Southwood, he was preaching up here, and he was preaching on tenacity. And he used me as an example of tenacity. Which, to be used in a sermon as a junior in college, that was like the crowning achievement of my college career. But that idea of grasping so tightly and not holding on, that's the idea of grasp here. And what he's saying is, Jesus Christ refused to grasp, refused to hold tightly onto equality with God. But instead, he emptied himself by becoming man. So in becoming a man, in becoming a slave, he let go of equality with God. And I think to understand what equality of God means, we have to look at those first four verses. And what is the point Paul's trying to make? 
Again, he's trying to convince the Philippians to lay down their interests for the sake of others. He's convincing them to lay down their rights to serve other people. And so I think when we read that Jesus Christ refused to grasp onto those uh, equality that is talking about his refusal to hold on to his rights as God and as king. His refusal to, to hold on to his own interests, but instead to look towards the interests of others. In that case, towards us. So when he became man, instead of, instead of grasping his rights as God and as king, which he had, he chose to give himself up for the sake of us. We see this throughout scripture. Uh, if you turn to John John 13, it says, uh, this is the Last Supper, and so Jesus is in the upper room, and he's preparing for this Last Supper right before he dies, and he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew that he had come from God, that he was going back. He knew that he was God the Son, that he was King Jesus. And yet in this moment, knowing exactly who he was, he knew that he had the right for all of his disciples to come over and watch his, wash his feet. But instead, he chose to serve them, to lay aside his rights as king and as God and wash their feet instead. We see it again in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been praying and his disciples have been asleep. And all of a sudden, Judas the betrayer is coming uh, with this band of soldiers. And Peter, uh, he pulls out a sword and starts chopping at people's ears. And Jesus says to him, Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or you do, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen in this way? Jesus is king and he's God. He has the right, he's saying, to call down 12 legions of soldiers, to, to, or of angels to crush this petty little band of soldiers. And, and I would say that it was in his best interest as he looks forward to the cross to do just that. But he lays down that right. And instead of looking at his own interests, he chooses to look towards our interests so that the scriptures may be filled, which say that he must hap- it must happen this way. And then he goes on to the cross. And even while he's on the cross, you have people mocking him saying, you healed others, you raised others, and you can't get yourself down from this cross. But we know that he could have gotten himself down from that cross. He had the power. He had the authority to be able to do that. It was in his best interest to do that too, to not die. But he gave that up in order to save us, in order to forgive our sins. Christ is our example of someone, our perfect example of someone who lays down his rights, who lays down his interests for the sake of others. And in that case, it was for the sake of saving and redeeming us to him. Paul uh, has laid out this perfect plan of the Philippian church's job to lay down their interests, to lay down their rights for the sake of serving others so that they can reflect God the Father. And then he uses Christ as this perfect example of someone who does just that, 
perfect example of someone who gives up his own life, who lays down his interests and his rights for the sake of making the gospel known, for the sake of saving you and I. The church is called to do this as well. And we're a part of that church. The church is called to lay down and to look away from our own interests to the interests of those within the church, and then to look towards the interests of those outside of the church. To look towards the interests of those inside of the earth, it seems like something that would be pretty obvious, right? That's what the church does, but sadly, uh, the, the modern church, it seems to miss this a lot of times. So working at a church, we hear a lot about church shopping, um, people talking about, well, I'm going from church to church, or this consumerist mentality of church. So um, the idea between a consumerist mentality with church is, I'm looking for the church that makes me happy. At the foundation of church shopping, at the foundation of a consumerist mentality, is this idea that the church is supposed to serve me. It's this idea that the church is supposed to make me happy. And then when it's not, when you're frustrated with the church, when you're disappointed with how something's going, when you might not like the worship, what you do is you go and you hop to the other church, hoping that it will satisfy you, hoping that it will make you happy. But the bottom line is, Church is not meant to make you happy. The church is meant to make you holy. The church's job, the church's focus is supposed to be our holiness and not our happiness. And this idea of church hopping completely undercuts our desire for holiness in its people. And so even coming to church, we're called to lay down this right for happiness, this pursuit of happiness. We're called to lay that down for the sake of growing in holiness and for the sake of serving the body. That's why we do work projects. Who in here participated in work projects over the last year? Yeah, a lot of us. The idea of work projects, um, we had one yesterday. The idea is that you lay down your rights. So eight o'clock Saturday morning, we ask you to be up at the church and we ask you get up and come up here and people lay down their rights to a relaxing Saturday morning to come up and serve the body of Christ. They go out and they do work projects at different members, uh, church members' houses for the sake of raising money for missions. It's a great example of people laying down their rights, their interests for the sake of uh, serving the body. Throughout scripture, we see that the body uh, is viewed as uh, this family. So we see brothers and sisters all throughout scripture. It would be absurd in your family uh, if when you're unhappy, you got up and went to a different family, wouldn't it? Andrew, every morning when he gets up, one of the first things he asks for is candy. Gets up, comes over to the couch, and says, Daddy, can I have candy? And I look at him and say, No, buddy, we don't have candy in the morning. And he throws a little fit, whines some, and then uh, he always looks up and with these sad eyes says, that, makes, that doesn't make me happy, Daddy. I know, it's really tough, you know. But I, I don't say, well, then go to a different family, buddy. You know, if you're not happy... <laughs> If you're not happy with our no family rules, you know, maybe our neighbors will give you family at nine in the morning. You know, nobody does that. But what I, I do help him to understand is, but I care more about your health. I care more about your nutrition than I do about you getting candy, than I do about your happiness. And the church is made to care more about your spiritual health than it is about your happiness. And so as you come to church you need to have this idea that I'm called to lay down my interests. I'm called to lay down this pursuit of happiness and, and necessarily being constantly poured into for the sake of 
pouring out to others for the sake of serving others and looking towards the interests of others above your own interests. And then we're also called not just to uh, lay down our interests for those within the church, but also those without the church. And again, Christ is the perfect example of this. Jesus Christ, he lived in the perfect confines of heaven. I have to assume it was pretty nice there. And he gets up and he leaves. And he doesn't just come, okay, he came down to earth. He comes down into a context that hated him. He came down into a context, a cultural context, that uh, slandered him, that uh, attacked him. He came down into a cultural context that called what he did uh, to be that of Satan. And then eventually they tortured him and they killed him. That's, he left heaven in order to come into that and to, um, to present the gospel, present his life to people who, who did not like him. And that example is for us to follow of leaving what is comfortable to go into what is uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. In 2007, I went to Tradewinds, which is one of the places that we go on our summer projects. And uh, Tradewinds, it's hot there. Uh, it's in North Africa, and um, it gets to 110, 115 degrees. It's way hotter than even Texas. Uh, it stinks in Tradewinds. There's trash all over the roads, and uh, it's just not a, a pleasant place to be. Not only that, but Sometimes you get sick there, and uh, when I was there in 2007, my ministry partner and I, we both uh, got pretty severe stomach ailments that, that kind of hampered us while we were doing ministry, but uh, we were motivated to you know, keep going out in light of our stomach issues, and so one day a friend of ours, one of our Muslim student friends, invited us to a nice beach, so we took a train ride out to this beach, and we had a great day with him. We, we were able to share the gospel with him. We were talking about Jesus and the Son of God and, and different things like that and how it compares to Islam, and it was an awesome day out on the beach just being able to share the gospel, um, looking down to the Mediterranean Ocean. That was a nice part. Of, uh, of trade winds. Um, eventually, the, the day had to come to an end, so we uh, jumped on the train and started driving back, and I kept, kept talking to him about keeping that conversation going about who Jesus was, and eventually I realized that my partner had gone quiet. And then I look over, and uh, our eyes met, and he had a look of despair and desperation in his eyes that I'll never forget. He was about to blow up, and so we stopped. As soon as the train stopped, we jumped off, and we, we ran straight to the nearest restaurant, and he charged in looking for a restroom. Uh, and a minute later, he charged back out, yelling that he needed money to use the toilet. And so I reached into my pocket laughing. I gave him a bunch of change, and he, he runs back in, now able to pay to go to the restroom. And, uh, and eventually, everything ended up well, and uh, we got home safely and soundly without any issues. But when we got home that night, we were reflecting on the day, and we thought through, man, we have the right to a free toilet. You know, like, I, I have the right to that. I shouldn't have to pay for a toilet. Not only that, but I have the right to not melt when I step outside. Like, I shouldn't have to go out into 120 degree heat. And I, that's my right as a human. I have the right to not be, have my nose attacked every time I step outside by all of the trash and the cats digging in the trash and, and things like that. Those are my rights. But uh, even as we f reflected on our day and, and how hard it was and how difficult it was, we recognized that in light of those rights, it was far greater to be able to share the gospel with someone who would never hear it, to share the gospel with someone who had never before heard it, and who might not ever hear it again, had we not been willing to lay down those rights 
and to go and talk to him about it. And that's what Jesus Christ is calling us to do. We exist in College Station in this comfortable Christian bubble. It's easy to be a Christian here, but we're called to step out of that bubble, step out of what's comfortable into the uncomfortable, to have those difficult conversations, to take the gospel to people who have never heard it, and it's becoming more and more attacked as the day goes on, this gospel message that we're bringing. And again, we're called to move out of the comfortable into the comfortable to deliver this message, to lay down our rights, our interests, to remain in this Christian, this comfortable Christian bubble, and to go out just as Jesus did, proclaiming his message. So how can we do that? As we think through the, the closure of this semester, it's, it's getting close. A uh, month and a half left. Uh, there are three ways that I want to, to kind of give us to think through, how can I lay down my interests for the interest of others? What rights do I hold on to, do I grasp, that I can release, that I can lay down, that I can empty myself of for the sake of those around me? The first has to do with within the church. For you to know the needs the interests of those around you, you have to know the people around you. And so I would encourage you to join a small group. I know it's uh, pretty much the semester's done. We're We're getting to a close, but I don't care about that. Still, join a small group. If you want, we're still looking for leaders to lead our small group. So if you're interested in, a, in leading a group next year that, that can have this kind of community where instead of focusing on yourself, you're engaged with those within the body and engaged in those in the community, we would love for you to be able to apply for a leadership position that encourages groups to lay down their interests, to stop focusing on uh, themselves and to focus on other people. So if you're interested in that, you can come to the back and talk to us about it. But next is uh, looking without the church and how to lay down our interests for that. Uh, we have coming up next weekend a pancake breakfast right across the street. That way. Uh, and this pancake breakfast is put on by Youth Impact. And uh, Youth Impact is a ministry here that uh, ministers to the marginalized of our culture. Uh, so the inner city youth of Bryan and College Station, that's um, what Youth Impact ministers to. And the pancake breakfast is put on in order for these kids to raise money to be able to go to camp this summer. So you can come, you get pancakes, and then you sponsor kids to be able to go to camp this summer. And it's one of the ways that you can serve those with, from outside of the church by helping them and sponsoring them to be able to go to camp. Um, so that's next Saturday from 8 to 11 across the street. Um, and it's the Youth Impact Pancake Breakfast. And you can see more on that online. And then finally... Every summer we do summer missions. In summer missions, uh, we have 60 students in here that go out uh, to East Asia and to Greece to share the gospel with those who haven't heard it. They are doing exactly that. They're leaving what's comfortable, College Station, this summer to go and to share the gospel, to talk about Christ with people who have never heard it. And one of the things they have to do to be able to go is to raise over $5,000 in support. And that's a difficult process. It is not easy. It's not a fun process to do. But it's something that they're willing to do for the sake of serving those who have never heard. So I would challenge you as you think through the closing of the semester, 
how you can participate in giving and, and going uh, overseas this summer is through supporting and, and, and partnering with somebody that is going. So if you know someone, uh, just have a conversation with them. Find out how you can be praying for them this summer. Find out how you can contribute to them. But if you don't, uh, if you don't know anybody that's going, you can always come and find me after the service, and I'll gladly talk through, here's somebody that you can, can give to, or I'll take the money and I'll figure out how to disperse it myself. So I promise give it away. Uh, so those are kind of three uh, easy ways that you can uh, kind of practice what we've talked about. Practice um, what Christ modeled for us. This idea of um, what Paul calls the Philippian church to do. To lay down their own interests for the interests of others. To lay down instead of grasping at those rights. Just like Christ did for us. Now I want to spend, just as Jacob has been doing all semester, spend some time praying with each other. So find, find uh, two or three people around you and what I want you to do is spend a little bit just talking to each other about what it would look like this semester to lay down rights that you're grasping, to lay down interests that you might have for the sake of other people. And then I want you to spend a little bit closing, praying and worshiping God that he sent his son to do just that, that his son came and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and that he rose three days later victorious. We celebrated that last weekend. But he did that for the sake of us. He humiliated himself. He, he suffered and died for our sake. And praise God that he was willing to go through all of that for you and I. Y'all can spend some time praying now.